So you really need to make sure, can they do the job that you're hiring them to do? Once you identify which candidates do that, you then look at passion. Are they the right person for your company? Do they have the passion that you need? If you have two candidates that are equally qualified in terms of skill, go with that person that's showing passion over the one that's looking uh, just for a job. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your business? Then welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast, helping home professionals and luxury brands accelerate their success with proven marketing strategies and expert industry practices. Now, here's your host, Darla Powell. Hey there, welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things here at Wingnut, Darla Powell. And today we're talking all about making that hire for your interior design firm, your architect firm, your general contracting firm, what have you, whether it's the first hire or the hundredth hire, today's guest, Jamie Van Kike, is going to have all those deets for us. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Jamie shortly here. But first, we have some housekeeping. You guys, if you attended our webinar in February for Linda Holt, you know that that was amazing. Gangbusters. We almost maxed out with registrations there and got rave reviews. So now the pressure's on, Stacy Martin, for this March. 24th at 11 a.m. Stacy Martin, who was our guest for on episode 250 uh, of the Fresh Maker Design, follow her on Instagram, is going to visually walk us through her topic on how she creates interior design presentations where she says she gets 95% approval rate from her clients. And what I mean by that is no pushback, no revisions, just, hey, yeah, that looks amazing. Let's just do it. Doesn't that just make you feel like all warm and fuzzy inside? How, how much easier would your life be if you had this process? laid out before you in a visual way so you could really just drive it home. So make sure to head on over to wingnutsocial.com slash webinar to register for that. Again, that's going to be March the 24th at 11 a.m. If you're unable to make it for any reason, there will be a replay, but you have to be registered for us to send you that replay follow-up. Again, that's wingnutsocial.com slash webinar, or you can go over to our Instagram at wingnutsocial. Uh, we post all that kind of stuff pretty regularly. You can stay on top of what we're doing over there. Okay. And I'd like to take a second to uh, shout out Easy Render at easyrender.com for giving Wingnut Social a shout out in their blog, one of the 10 podcasts that interior designers and architects should follow. We always love to see that. We appreciate that so much over at easyrender.com. Basically, they are, when I was checking them out, they're a marketplace for interior design firms to find a renderer. For, to work for them for on a 1099 uh, basis, an outsource kind of basis. So that's pretty cool. Go and check them out. Thanks a lot for the mention, Easy Render. We appreciate that so much. Now, before we get into my interview with Jamie Van Kike, y'all know what time it is. It's time for Mini News, Mini News Sesh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this week for Mini News, we welcome back social media manager <laughs> extraordinaire abigail weidman abigail today we're doing a little detour from instagram and we're talking about my favorite platform personally tiktok <laughs> yeah yeah so we all know that instagram and tiktok are two favorites have been competitors for quite some time but tiktok is upping that competition now because they are officially rolling out 10 minute long videos which is interesting um we have some mixed feelings on it 
Yeah, we do. 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. Talk us through this before I just have a gut reaction and say no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we know that short video has been a trend for quite some time. We've seen that in reels and of course on TikTok, but TikTok is kind of, you know, not at so much of an advantage when it comes to being a competitor with its biggest competitor, Instagram, because before now they didn't have long form videos and short form videos are actually really hard to monetize. So TikTok's been seeing some of its creators go away and go over to Instagram because they can share on, you know, longer form feed videos and longer form stories. So When TikTok started, they just had three minute long videos, 15 second long videos, and 60 second videos. But now you can go up to 10 minutes. Okay, so I've had time to digest this (laughs) in the one minute you've been talking. And my first initial response was, ooh, I don't like this. I just like my, even when it went to three minutes, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, because if the video is bad, it kind of, you're invested in it before you get the payoff. But I could see where this would be beneficial for people with instructional videos or informational Mm -hmm. videos to, to gain that kind of following. And I... I guess this is just me off the cuff. As long as you're still swiping up, if you see it's boring or if you see it's 10 minutes, you can still just keep on scrolling. Are they thinking of also maybe being a long form as far as YouTube and that kind of competition? Do you know? Are you in their heads, Abigail Weidman? I am not, but I did have that thought. I I actually wrote that down because I was wondering, you know, is this just going to become another YouTube platform? Because they don't have that's the differentiator between Instagram and YouTube is, you know, Instagram, you can share photos, but TikTok isn't a photo sharing app. So is it just going to be a YouTube? I had that thought. Yeah. And you know, YouTube rolled out those shorts, which are Mm -hmm. what their answer to Instagram stories and reels and all that. I don't know if anyone's really using them. I'm not consuming them. Mm -mm. I have seen people creating content, but I haven't really been consuming them. So like I was saying in my Instagram live today, I am consuming podcasts and long, long, long form video on YouTube. I don't, I don't see myself doing that in and TikTok. So Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens with that. So okay, there you go. Designers, architects, contractors, you have 10 minutes, seven more minutes to flash your wares on TikTok. Go over and try it, see what you think. I don't think I'm going to be watching 10 minutes of funny videos, but for informational videos, yeah, I might do that. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Abigail, thank you for joining us again. Amazing as always. Thank you. Thank you. Many new sash. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again, Abby. All right, before we get into my interview with today's guest, Jamie Van Kuyk, let me tell you all about her short and sweet bio today. Jamie Van Kuyk is the owner and lead strategist of Growing Your Team, and she's an expert in hiring and onboarding teams within small businesses. That's it. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Jamie Van Kuyk to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Jamie Van Kuyk. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. And I think you are here at a very, very good time. I was talking to you in the green room about how I've noticed interior designers are hiring and maybe even firing like like crazy. So we're going to talk about how to not make some mistakes, what to look for, best hiring practices. And you have some some tips here I've been privy that I think are really going to be helpful to the audience listening. But before we dive into our conversation, just tell the wingnuts a little bit about who you are and what makes you an expert in this uh, situation right here and we will dive in. Sounds good. Well, hello, I am Jamie Van Kike, and I am the owner of Growing Your Team. At Growing Your Team, we guide small business owners through the hiring process. 
We believe in educating and then taking the work off people's plate. So we serve our clients in three main ways. We do full service recruiting. We write job descriptions and interview guides for business owners to use on their own. And then we guide people through the entire hiring process that they lead themselves, but we hold their hand through it, answer all their questions, and really help them feel confident through the process through one-on-one consulting. I came from corporate America where I was not on the HR side. I was on the operations leadership side, but I got a lot of experience with hiring from that side and also helping out my peer managers having to hire for their team. I gained so much knowledge, but when I left corporate to start a business, that which my first business was not the right business for me, and I quickly realized I needed to do something else, I started talking to small business owners. And one of the things I kept hearing all the time was hiring was a challenge. Most had never hired before having to do it for their own business, and they really didn't know what they were doing. Or if they had hired before when they were working for someone else, there was so much support from HR or senior leadership that they didn't realize everything that they didn't know about the hiring process now that they are on their own, that they were having to figure out a lot. They were having to figure out, how do I write a job description? What should I ask? What should I pay this person? And all these things that were foreign to them because someone else was doing it before. Those are all really good points. And if I go back to my first hire, it was for my design firm when I was doing full-time interior design. It was for an interior designer and I had no freaking clue what I was doing. I'm like, do you have a degree? Great. Okay, you start. No idea what to pay. I was just going on looking at Googling national averages. And when we're going to get into some of those, those nitty gritties on the resources and where to look when you, when you were like, ah, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so overwhelmed. But let's, speaking about being overwhelmed, I have a feeling i kind of know where this answer is going. What are some of the signs that it's finally time to make that hire or even to hire another team member? Yes. There's four quick signs that you can look for. And one of the things I just want to say is sometimes we become so busy in our business that we forget to look at these. These aren't signs that you're going to be consciously be thinking about all the time. So I always encourage business owners at least once a quarter to review your business for these signs to see if it's time to hire and that you're not just going with the work and struggling when you don't have to be. The first is you're saying no to your idea clients. So there's projects that you want to take out on that you would love to take on, but you're saying no due to your capacity or your team's capacity. That's people who want to give you their money today and you're saying, no, thanks, I don't want your money. Or you're sometimes having to say, yes, I would love your money, but I can't take you on for about four months. And what sometimes happens? Those people want those projects done. So while they might love you, they might then go someplace else for that. But you would love to take that on that client if you could. The other sign is you're losing customers due to poor customer service. And this could be that customers are getting fed up with you in the middle of projects and they're pulling out of the contracts. They are then no longer being a referral source for you because the project didn't turn out how they wanted in terms of communication and meeting their expectations and stuff like that of not necessarily the outcome of what you gave them, but how you made them feel during the process. That did they feel like they were someone of value, a client of value to your, you during the process? The other thing that it is, is that your customer service lacks when you're getting back to potential clients. So by the time you get back to them, they've already gone elsewhere. Because if they haven't worked with you before, they don't fully know you, trust you yet. And they might be contacting multiple people or thinking, well, it's a week since I've reached out. 
Maybe I don't have the right number. Maybe they're not taking new clients and they go elsewhere. So those are two of the four signs that it's time to hire. So then going on to the third one is that you wanna do something new in your business, but you can't because all your time sucked up with what you currently are doing. So maybe you want to start offering some sort of coaching or education on top of it. You want to open up a store of products and get that retail thing added to your business, but you can't because you just have no time. Your time has to be dedicated 100% to what you are currently offering your clients. And then the fourth sign is you lack skill or knowledge that is needed in your business. And there's comes a point where, yes, you can go and learn it yourself, but how much time is that going to take you? And are you really the right person to learn it? And are you really the right person to still execute it once you know what to do? And your time is valuable. And sometimes paying the expert is well worth it because the time you personally saved is time that you can spend on revenue generating activities or serving your clients so that way they come back and they feel valued and all those other things that need to happen in your business. I love that last one, especially for Wingnut Social, because <laughs> we have designers out there who are doing their own marketing and doing their own social media and not delegating. And it's like, ah, it's a, hiring an agency in that way, even as a as an agency, and they're not an employee for you as, as a way to get around that. But speaking to the fourth one about not having the skills in the interior design industry, that hit home to me because I don't do CAD, I don't do Revit, I don't do SketchUp, I don't have those those skills for the interior design business. So I I hired really quick to delegate that. And on the wingnut social side, we just hired because we were at capacity and there was such a waiting list. But which leads me to my next question, a little convoluted way to get to that, was there is a certain fine line that you have to walk between over hiring and being okay with a little bit of a wait list, right? So like, if you have a wait list for a month, I mean, there's a reason you have a wait list is because you have quality, you have there's demand. How much of a wait list are we comfortable with? I know designers, we have clients actually at Wingnut who are booked until 2023 for interior design projects and that's just their exclusivity. That's their, you know, they're they're very high end, they're very aspirational. If you want to work with them, you have to wait and that's kind of part of the appeal there too. So how do you work around that? Where's that fine line? Yeah, I love that question. And the line is, it depends. It depends on what you want to be doing with your business. If your goal is to keep growing your revenue, and the reason you can't grow your revenue is because you're stuck at your current revenue levels because you can only take on so much, then you need to hire so you can increase your capacity and bring in more revenue. For the example of the people that, for the company that is that high end, it's if you want to work with us, you'll wait for us they're probably increasing their revenue at times because they increase their prices. They want to create that exclusivity. And that is one of the ways they do it is they purposely have this wait list that they don't care to bring down because people want to work with them so bad. So you have to figure out, is your wait list working for you or is it working against you? Is it a marketing tool where it's, okay, we can't work with you for three months, but you know people are willing to wait those three months because they really want to work with you. Or when you're telling people, okay, we can't work with you for three months, they're saying, okay, well, I'm gonna go mm-hmm. call around and go elsewhere. And so <laughs> yeah. it's it's both that, like that, is it working for you? And can you also grow your business, grow your revenue in the way you want with a wait list? 
Yeah, and I think there's a fine line too. You have to do the market research and see what the demand is. So if you have a multi-million dollar firm and you have a wait list for a year, maybe you can half that, right? And still have that mystique and still have that wait list, but double your income (laughs) for that to buy hiring, right? I think there's like a little bit of a sweet spot. I think you can overdo it. And the only way to really know for sure is to do your market research and to know what your area will bear for that kind of business. So that that was just an interesting thing, because I know that that is a a factor in the appeal of the wait list for hiring a team member. So let's talk about where do we even begin to start looking? I know that there are platforms like LinkedIn, and Indeed, and you can maybe go online and get a template for the position that you want to hire. For interior design, it's, it's a little harder. It's because it's very specific. But where do we even start to look to get that information? The first thing I want to put out there is don't use templates when you're going to hire. A templated job description is never going to find you the exact person you need. Now, you can look at them for reference to get some ideas as you're starting to put together your own job description, but never just say, here's a template for an interior designer, let me go use it. And the reason why is that job posting is going to get you someone and attract someone who can do the skill, most likely. But it doesn't speak to the person who's really going to be right for your team, your culture. You could take the exact same interior designer and they could be a perfect fit for company A, but for company B, they just don't mesh. Their style doesn't look mesh what you're looking for. They don't value the clients the same way. They don't work as a team the same way like that you need for your company. So the first thing you really need to do is figure out your idea candidate. So it is some of those things. You need to figure out the the roles and responsibilities. You need to figure out what success looks like in your company. What are you going to be happy with when you hire? Who are you gonna be happy giving your money to every pay period? You need to figure out what is unique about your company and what's gonna make someone say, yes, this is the place for me, but another candidate is gonna make them say, nope, This is not the job for me. I need to look elsewhere and not even apply because it's okay to turn people away with your job posting when they're not the right candidate. And that's part of the goal of a job posting is to turn the candidates away who are not right for the role. So once you figure out all that and you really develop who your idea candidate is, your job posting should speak to that person. I've made that mistake myself. <laughs> I've done that. And I had someone respond to the templated ad and I'm like, oh, um, let me revise that. <laughs> Just when I was reaching out and not knowing, you know, in the beginning, which is great why there's professionals like you out there and why we're having this episode. So if you think about it, like think about it this way, you can have a room that you've designed and you love, but is that going to be the right room, the right design for every one of your clients? No because it's not what they want. It's not what works in their home. So even if it has the same concepts, like you want certain flow, you want certain materials or stuff like that, things are gonna look different based on what the client wants. And that's the same thing. A role might be very similar in roles and responsibilities, but it's gonna look different in, in each company because your company is what makes that role unique. You need to find the right person for you. So then once you have this job posting, you're then going to go out and post it where your idea candidate is looking. 
I always say post on Indeed because Indeed has a free job posting. A lot of times they perform very well once you have that right job posting that's going to speak to the right person. So I say might as well post for free on Indeed. Indeed does try to get you to pay right away, but there's always the option that you can say post without sponsoring. So post without sponsoring at first and just just post it out there because it's free. LinkedIn now also gives you the ability, unless they change things, so depending on when you're listening to this, they might change things again, they allow you one free post per account at a time for free. So I always say, use it if you can, post out there on LinkedIn for free. Once again, they'll try to get you to sponsor it right away, but don't post out there for free to take advantage of that when you can. Then you're gonna wanna look to see what other job boards are out there for your idea candidate. So depending on the exact position, depending on the level of experience, there might be job boards that are popular in your area specifically for interior designers or specifically for if you're hiring a marketing person for marketing. So you want to find the job board for that role. And then also look at that job board because some of them are pay to play to see are there similar jobs in your area on that job board? Because if there's not, what's the chance that the candidate is gonna be out there looking? Because if you're looking for a job and there's never anything that matches what you're looking for, chances are you're not gonna go back to that job board. So if there are jobs out there that could be attracting the candidate you're looking for, then it could be a good place to place your ad because of the fact that a candidate is going to be there looking for opportunities because they know opportunities exist on that job board. I see. I have had really good luck with both LinkedIn and Indeed. And yeah, they are both trying to get your money though. <laughs> They're like, hey, are you sure you don't want to put some extra money behind this? You can get even better candidates if you do that. And of course, I'm a sucker for it every time. But yeah, I have had pretty good success for both of them. I think I have uh, right now I have employees from both LinkedIn and Indeed, which are, are really good. When, now, when you say job boards, is that what do you mean by job boards exactly? What are those? So job boards, so Indeed is a job board. Uh, So it's just any of those specific sites to help people find jobs. I thought maybe there was like some kind of little chat room or something I was unaware of. (laughs) Which speaking of, sometimes Mm -hmm. depending on the role and depending on your area, there are Facebook groups out there that are idea. There are some generic Facebook groups out there. They'll be like jobs in such and such city. Mm -hmm. Those ones are typically so overrun with jobs that they don't perform very well. But there are sometimes job boards out there that are for specific industries and specific areas. And because you know that your idea candidate is there, they can do really well. So for example, completely different industry, but I was helping someone hire for physical therapists and we were able to find a Facebook group that was specifically for physical therapists looking for jobs in the city that she was in. And that's actually how she found her new team member. Oh, okay. That's super cool. So here's a question for you financially. I know that there are people in the audience who are listening saying, you know, I am kind of ready to make that higher. Let's talk from a financial standpoint really quick. And um, I'm, I'm curious to get your, your thoughts or your school of thought on this. What part of the business expense should your employee part be? Like, for example, for a digital marketing agency, for the rule of thumb, is it about your manpower is about 50 to 60% of the agency expenditure. Is there an across the board rule of thumb for that? Or is it different for every genre? Would you happen to know what it is for the interior design industry? Or or 
It is going to vary greatly. So there really isn't a good rule of thumb. I would say you probably always want to check with your accountants to make sure your business can afford it because some of it's going to really depend on where the rest of your money is going and who you need to hire for and, and all that stuff. So there's some companies where hiring, especially those first few employees is going to be a significant portion of their, their revenue spent or their expense spend and everything. And there's other companies where it's not as much. Obviously, the more employees you're hiring, the more it's going to, that's going to increase in expense and everything. But there really isn't from, I would say my point of view, a a set percentage of it should be this. You really need to look at what's going on in your business, what money that you have to be able to afford employees, and then start planning it out. So one thing that you need to do is start thinking about, okay, I need help. Let's say you have one person on your team right now, and you want to continue growing your business, and you know that you're going to need to have two of those same roles. Well, you already know what one of those roles is going to be. So what will it cost you for two people of that same role? Then you could start looking at what revenue, additional revenue do I need to cover that team member? Because you have to think about it this way. When you expand your business from, let's say, one employee plus you to two employees plus you, there are certain things that will go up in cost. Like for example, you then have to pay possibly further monthly fee for an email address or phone and other stuff like that, access to certain systems where you pay per person. So some of that stuff will go up, but then there's a lot of fixed costs that aren't gonna go up as you hire more team members. Of course, you're gonna reach a threshold where you might then need a bigger office or something like that. So some of those fixed costs will change, but there's a lot of fixed costs that don't go up just because you hire more team members. So if you look at it that way, there's the cost of paying that team member, but how that's gonna work into your overall cost is gonna depend industry to industry, business to business, and it's really focusing more on can you afford the help you need? And if you can't afford the help that you really want, how can you adjust it to get help in your business at a level that you can afford? Right. And you also have to think, okay, if I, well, you kind of said this, but to go further on that, if you have X amount of clients and you can sign another five clients for that person, how much revenue, uh, billable, you know, hours, how much revenue is this employee making? And that's, that's what I, you know, what we do here at Wingnut for sure is why we had the waiting list. I was like, okay, now how, what does the waiting list look like? How many people is it? How many clients can my, my new social media manager handle? And what is the revenue going to look like for that? So you have to make sure that it's going to be profitable. I know the first month or two, you're ramping them up and training them. It might not look as profitable. But in the very beginning, when you're doing a first or second hire, that that margin might not be there as you're learning, right? And you're learning the role and you're shaping the role and training the person. Wingnut Social is now accepting full-service clients for social media management. If you are overwhelmed and don't know what, when, where, or why to post, or even if you're just too damn busy and don't want to spend your precious $300 an hour design time on Facebook and Instagram posting ineffective content, then head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Hiring Wingnut Social is a no-brainer, and I'll tell you why. Because you're going to have your very own digital marketing team for your firm without the payroll taxes, the workers' comp, the health insurance, the 401ks, the sick days, or the drama, or the headaches. And we are... The very best at what we do. And that is no joke. You can go check out the reviews, wingnutsocial.com, real marketing, real results, wingnutsocial.com. 
So let me ask you this. Now, in the interior design industry, so many people are passionate. I love design. I was born to do design. Send you an email. Please hire me. I want to intern. I'm, I just, I, I live and breathe HGTV or, or something like that. And, uh, and on the surface, you might think, wow, they're super passionate about this. That's going to be the perfect fire hire. You know, I'm just, they're going to have a fire under their butt and they're going to do wonders. But you say it's a myth to hire passion over skill. Let's talk about that. It is 100% a myth. I think sometimes people in larger businesses, so we're talking about like corporate companies can get away with it because people can fly under the radar. If someone doesn't work in this role, but they're really passionate, you can switch them to this role. But in smaller businesses, you don't have as much room to play around with employees. You can't say, okay, well, you don't work out here. Let me put you over here because you still need that other work done and you might not be able to afford to have a person in both places. So it is very important to get the people that you need skill-wise. So skill always needs to be slightly above passion when you're looking to hire. Can they do the job that you need done? Because it doesn't matter how passionate they are about the industry, about your company, if they can't do the job, they're never going to meet the expectations, which then we were just talking about being able to afford an employee. If they're not doing the job that you hired them to do, you're paying them to do other stuff that might not have that same ROI on the tasks that you might be paying them X, but the role that they're really doing is worth Y and that's less than what you're paying them. So you really need to make sure, can they do the job that you're hiring them to do? Can they meet the expectations you have for the role? Can they be successful in this role? Then once you identify which candidates do that, you then look at passion. Are they the right person for your company? Do they have the passion that you need? If you have two candidates that are equally qualified in terms of skill, and one is that one who wrote you that amazing cover letter expressing their passion, you can you can just see the passion exuding from them from their interview and throughout the process. Yeah, go with that person that's showing passion over the one that's, that's looking uh, just for a job. Yeah, they can do it, <laughs> but are they going to be happy there? Are you going to be happy working with them? No, you don't want to go with that person if you have someone that's exuding the passion. But you can't overlook skill and just hire for passion because that's where you end up having some on your team that you want to fire quickly. That's a good point. Okay, so is there a way... Because hiring a person can be a very big risk if they don't work out. And you've spent a month, two months, three months or, or more. Usually it's a 90-day window, right, that you have where they're, you're, they're vetting themselves or, or, or what have you. Is there a way to mitigate that risk and, and ensure that they're the right person before they even start working for you from a, you know, a work ethic or a work product kind of standpoint? Or is this wishful thinking? Yeah, so there are some things that you can do, and there's some other things that I say you probably should avoid. So first <laughs> off, you need to set up a, a hiring process to identify if they're the right person. So this is through the interviews and everything, developing questions that actually uncover the right information. I always say you want to avoid or at least reduce the amount of hypothetical questions. So questions that are like, tell me what you would do if, because what are people going to tell you? what the ideal answer is. And it doesn't mean they're actually gonna perform that way. You wanna ask questions that really have them support their answers with examples. So tell me about a time when, and what you're gonna ask them about is something that they're gonna experience in your business. So for example, let's say you're working with 
these very high-end clients that are very demanding and might sometimes think that, well, we're paying you all this money, so it's okay for us to be short in our answers. And you want to see, can they deal with those type of clients without hurting the relationship? So you're going to ask, tell me about a time when you had to work with a very demanding client. Figure out, okay, one, have they? do they have this experience? And let me listen to the example to see how did they handle that experience? Are they going to tell you things like, oh, when those clients came about, I couldn't stand working with them and this and that, or it's going to be like, yes, like I would experience times with that while sometimes, you know, it can be draining on a personal side. I know my role is to make these clients feel valued throughout the process. So here's an example of when that happened. And they tell you about this time where uh, maybe a client was upset because something came in late or it was delivered to their house directly and it was broken and the client was upset and how they talk to the clients and how they work through that situation and how they resolve the problem for the clients. And really asking those questions that uncover what have they done before? Have they been in similar situations? And sometimes it's not direct situations. So maybe that example they give you, let's say you're hiring someone who is more entry level, they might not have had that example in an interior design company, but they have handled similar things in other companies that they worked with. So it's not in this type of fields, but they can transfer what they have done to your type of business. So that's the first thing is making sure you ask questions that actually produce answers of value that help determine, can this person do the job? Sometimes the other thing to do is developing some sort of case study or opportunity for them to present their skill. It could be going through that maybe you don't want to take their word for it, that they know how to use a certain uh, tool. Like, for example, with CAD, that it's not like, oh, yeah, I got it. And they're just telling you that they got it. And they're just going to, their plan is, I am going to figure out this so I can get the job. And they've never touched it before. This was my next question. I, so, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, go ahead. You could possibly put together a little bit, little case study for them to do, where you have all everything that they might need, and then say, okay, when they're there in person in an interview, we want you to sit down and do this work here so you can see what are they able to put together. Now, the thing to remember is you have to know what you're testing them on. Because when you have someone and you do a test, whether, for example, a client of mine in the past for marketing, we had them put together a mini marketing strategy based on the information that we gave them. And they did a little presentation. I had to remind the client of, This person doesn't know everything about your company yet. So for example, they don't know, they haven't had a one-on-one call or know everything about the clients and what they want. So what are you testing them on? Are you testing their ability to, for example, think through the information that you gave them and be able to create something? Are you testing them on their ability to use the tool? Because you can't test them on their ability to create something that highly aligns with your company and your brand and all that stuff because they don't know all that information yet. Maybe they put together a design where you can see their thought process for putting it together based on the information you tell them, but it might not actually be a design that you would go out and present to a client because they don't know all that additional information yet. Right. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. How many hoops can we make employees jump through before we decide on them, especially in this market, right? It's, it's kind of hard to find good help. And it seems like it's a, an employee's market, <laughs> you know, yes. if we want it to real estate. So how, how much is too much worth before they're like, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm just going to go work for Susan McNuggets Interior Designs instead. Yes. 
Good question. And I love this. The first thing is make the beginning of the process easy. You don't want it to be, well, I want you to do all this stuff for me before I even grant you an interview. Because then you're having the the candidate jump through too many hoops and they don't care about the position yet. At that point in time, it's just a job posting. And if you make it too complicated for them to enter the process or take too much of their time before you give them any of your time, they're going to say, nope, and they're going to move on. The other thing to do is make sure you have your process lined out before you start. So you know how many interviews is it going to be? Are you going to have them do this? So you can properly communicate that and you can also move quickly. You don't want to be taking too long or sit in there and say, well, we had our last interview. Now we're going to meet the following week and we're go- I'm going to think about it. Then I'm going to decide I want them to do this activity and test to test it out. Have them be able to move through the process quickly. So if you know you're going to have them do sort of some case study or testing or something like that, align it with one of the interviews. So that way they come in for an interview, they do it, or they come in for an interview and they're presenting to you their information if they're doing that stuff on their own at that point in time. Uh, You just don't want to draw out the process, move quickly, and don't ask too much from a candidate before you have opportunity to spend time with them. Because there's no point in wasting their time if it's someone that's never going to make it to that next round anyway. Yeah, that's smart. And in fact, LinkedIn has this um, ability to ask for a video response once you've kind of vetted them and seen if they're a good fit or not. And I have 30 candidates for a digital sales representative. And I think out of 30 of them, I got three video responses before to carry on to the actual interview. And I, I see with what you're saying now why that could have been. I think that's a little bit of a mixture of there's a few jobs available out there, but also like, yeah, you know, why should I take the time to put my face on video when I haven't really made a connection. I'm not even sure if it's going to be a waste of time. Those video interviews, the only benefit is for the company and not Mm -hmm. for the candidates. And so it does weed a lot of good talent out of the process because they're not willing to put that time in yet because they say why people feel Mm -hmm. uncomfortable because they don't know how that video is going to be used. And Mm -hmm. I remember talking to one of my clients about that. They're like, well, it allows us to watch it on our time and we can quickly turn it off if in the first 10 seconds we don't want to continue with that candidate. I'm like, but now you just had him spend all that time and you're not even watching the entire video. And I was like, do not see how disrespectful that is to the candidates, that you're not even willing to watch an entire three-minute video that they spent the time putting together for you. And I was like, and I'm like, it's not getting us any better candidates. Let's take that out of the process and see what happens. And when we took it out of the process, we were able to quickly fill the position because we were able to identify the right people throughout the process to interview. So, and then to pass along to them because we were doing the, the front part of the recruiting process where they were actually spending less time and spending time with the right candidates. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I, I can that's the first time I've ever tried that. It, it wasn't really <laughs> very successful. I mean, I did get a really good candidate out of it who did just happen to do the video and I'm, I'm going to end up hiring more than likely. But okay, next question. Thoughts about personality assessment tests like Myers-Briggs, if I'm saying that correctly, or, or there's another one out there where you're either a one, two, three, four, or five. I don't even know what they are. The Enneagram. Thank you. Are those helpful? Those Those seem invasive in such a way if you're not hiring someone because they're not scoring. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about those. But I know a lot of interior designers swear by them. What are your thoughts? 
So I have mixed thoughts on them. First off, like we were just talking about, if your process is having them complete a test or telling you the results before you've ever done an interview with them, stop doing that. Do not use them that early in the process because all you're doing is weeding candidates out based on the results that you get and you have no idea if they're really a good fit for the job. Personality tests tell you style, they don't tell you ability. So they might tell you how they're going to approach something, if they're going to be a deep internal thinker, if they think quick on their feet, if you know there's certain things about their style it's going to tell you, but it doesn't actually tell you their ability to do the job that you're hiring for. And if you look at it, if you want to weed people out early in the process with it, you're saying people only people of this personality can do the job. And that's not always the case. I know when I was managing a team of 20 account managers and we did personality assessments, the results were across the board. And I had a team that was a high performing team. And there was not one personality assessment like results on there that signified an amazing team member over another one. So any person of any personality could succeed in the role based on how they applied their ability and everything, how they applied their style within that role. Where I think personality tests can be brought into the process is very late in the process before you're making your final decision. And the reason why I sometimes think this is a good thing for small businesses is because in small businesses, you're typically the boss of maybe a very small team and you have your own personality which is going to make it, if you've ever done a lot of studies on personality tests, there's certain personalities that work better together. And because of your style, that you're going to be able to manage certain people easier. And that doesn't necessarily mean people who are exactly like you, but that their personality complements yours. And so when when you're in a larger company, that doesn't really matter as much because sometimes there's multiple managers, there's different layers. You're you're always having to deal with so many personalities that you can you have to learn to adapt. But in your own business, that's not always the case. And sometimes it's going to be easier for you to manage the people that align best with your personality. Once again, that doesn't mean mimic your personality, but have things in their personality results that complement yours. You might decide, okay, here are these two really qualified candidates. This one, I'm gonna be able to easily manage. This one over here, I'm gonna have to really change my style in order to manage them. That's not something I know if I can do yet. So maybe I need to go with the person that's gonna be easier for me to manage. Using it later in the process to determine management style, your ability to lead that person rather than using them to determine your ability to want to hire them. Okay, that I think I can live with. So is there an, is it, what are they called? Enneagrams? What are they called? The one is called the Enneagram. Enneagrams. Is there a particular Enneagram that says that you like Little Debbie Cakes, Whiskey, Star Wars, and Marvel movies? Because that's the one I want to hire. <laughs> I don't think so. But <laughs> Damn it. Okay, last question before we get into the fire around Jamie Van Kike. How many candidates should we go through before we make the final decision? I, I, I know we're always going to feel like, oh, did we miss out? It's just that one other candidate. Is it 10? Is it 20? Is it 100? What is the law of averages there? Or, or we just keep going until we, we can't go anymore? <laughs> the right number is however many candidates it takes you to find the right person. And it could be one, it could be a hundred. Hopefully it's not a hundred. Hopefully you have a hiring process set up that helps weed people 
out and lets the right people through so you don't have to do 100 interviews. But it might be that you interview one person and you're like, this is the person. This is the person that I need need to hire. And one thing that I always like to tell my clients, because sometimes I've had clients who are like, well, I want a bigger pool so I can compare. And I always say, a candidate is the right fit because they're the right fit. They don't get better or worse based on another candidate. Either they have what you're looking for or they don't. And that sometimes makes them realize like, oh, I don't have to have five candidates that make it to that final round that I want to pick and that I have to pick from one of them. If one person makes it to that final round and you love that candidate and they have what you're looking for, because as we talked about at the very beginning, you know what your idea candidate looks like. You know what is going to make someone fit in your company. When you find that person, you found that person. That makes terrific sense. But in the thought of interviewing a hundred candidates makes me want to kill myself. Oh yeah. No, like to me, no, I don't want to do that either. And if you're, if you're having to interview a hundred candidates to find the right person, there are ways that we can probably improve your hiring process. So you don't have to do that. And part of that is making sure you're looking for the right things on a resume and then setting up a process that kind of, that weeds the right people out and leaves the right people in. And that's a lot of what we do with the hiring strategies and everything we develop. We've had clients that get well over a hundred candidates, but they only end up doing a first round interview with maybe nine invite three to the second round interview, and then they make their hiring decision because they're able to focus on the right people to bring in for an interview. That sounds like heaven. Do you guys do the interviews too or no? Well, you do it like the the beginning interview? <laughs> yeah. Just do the hire where you pay them also? <laughs> <laughs> so for our full service recruiting package, we do the first round of interviews. So that way we help weed out those additional candidates because there's always people who are going to look like they're 100% of what you need on paper. Yes. And then you have that first conversation with them and you're like, <laughs> yeah, no, this isn't the right person or just the way that they apply it. Like they've done all the right things, but you can't always tell culture fits on a resume. So once you have that first round, it's like, okay, this person actually won't work well with our client. It's not the idea candidate they're looking for, even though they can do all the right activities. So we'll do those first round interviews and deliver the top candidates to our client that match what they're looking for. I can't tell you how many resumes I looked at. And it was like SEO certified in this and strategic this and SEMrush and Google. And, and when I would get to the interview and ask them just very basic strategy building questions, they had no idea. It's like, ah. so, okay, you can do all my first interviews for me from now on. Now I have to ask you, Jamie Van Kike, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? I am. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? It's already planned, which I find it really funny to be on a tombstone, but I am such a planner. My husband would always be like, you know, we should have thought about this. Or like when our kids were really little with the diaper bag, it goes, you know, we should have thrown this in the diaper bag. And I'm like, wait, you mean this? That's already here? Or like, I've already done that. Like, it's already planned. You don't have to worry about it. I am 12 steps ahead of you. That's awesome. That has to be so satisfying. Well, you mean this? (laughs) You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have your one favorite food forever. What's it going to be? So I thought about this. I was torn between two, but I'm actually going to go with peanut butter. I just love it. I can take that. You can put that on the fruit. Yeah, I feel like it's filling. It's a protein. It has fat in there. It can keep you going. I was going to say pizza, but I think that'll be a little complicated. Too many ingredients for a desert island. 
<laughs> yeah. Plus, I don't know. Red sauce gives me heartburn. I don't know if I want to be stuck with that. So good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, please recommend a book that has had an impact on you either professionally or personally. Yeah, so the book that I absolutely love that I'm always recommending is Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette. My husband got it for me for Christmas, oh gosh, probably about six years ago now. And I was like, why do I want to read this? Why do I want to read a book about someone like leading a submarine? I'm like, this doesn't really seem to be aligned with my interests at all. And he goes, no, 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 it gets great reviews for a leadership book. I think you'll really enjoy it. And I loved it. Like, I couldn't put the book down. I was like, First, this is this book that I actually truly read cover to cover without having to go back to it a million times. And it really shows you how to be a leader that is creating leaders within your team. So you have a team of highly accountable people who know what they're doing and they get their job done because they want to get their job done and not because you're micromanaging them. And what really stood out to me is when I was back in corporate, people would always say, your team functions so well. What do you do to have such a great team? And my answer was goes, I was like, I don't know. I just I was just lucky to have good team members. Like, you know, I just got a good team, especially because one of my teams that uh, performed so well, I inherited the team. So I didn't do any of the hiring, nothing. And I was just like, I was just lucky. I got a really good team. And after reading this book, like there were so many things I was like, wow, I do that. That's what I do. That's how I lead my team. And it made me realize that, yes, I did have good workers on my team, but their ability to perform really well was also attached to the way that how I led them. And it really taught me a lot of like my leadership strengths. And it led into a lot of the things that while most of what I do focuses on hiring, there's a lot of then leadership that goes into it. What do you do after the person's hired? What do you do now that they're on your team? How do you onboard them? And I bring a lot of those lessons into what I do now with my clients. What was the name of the book again? Turn the Ship Around by mm-hmm. David Marquette. Okay, cool. I'm putting that in my audible queue. Jamie Van Kuyk, please tell the listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your awesome services. So you can go to growingyourteam.com to learn more about what we do and how we can support you through hiring. Whether you need hiring support with us creating job postings and interview guides for you, you want to learn how to hire well, we do our one-on-one services with that. And like I said, we also do full service recruiting. So if you're like, this is great, I just don't have time for it, take it off my plate, you can learn about our recruiting services there. And then you can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all under Growing Your Team. All right. Awesome. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. So are you ready to make that hire? Can you afford that hire? Can you afford not to make that hire? I thought it was really, really super interesting, her take on um, that exclusivity and the wait list. And I wish there was a scale or something that would just say, oh, you don't want them to wait any more than a month or a week or two weeks or six months or a year. I mean, I have contractors here in Southern Maryland that have said, I'm booked up for a year. Hmm, right? I guess at some point, you have to look at how big do I want to grow? Do I want to scale? Am I okay just having one or two employees or no employees, you know, and being that backed up? What kind of money am I leaving on the table? What does the market dictate that I can hire and and how many people can I serve at this level at this rate? So those are things to do in your market research to see what the demand is. But I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you have a wait list of a year, It's time to hire. I mean, that's enough exclusivity. I mean, even if you're 
the best interior designer, the best architect. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to wait a year. I mean, maybe, maybe six months. Yeah. Four to six months. Yeah. I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. Everybody's different. Anyway, that's something to, to consider for sure. And I've never done the personality things. I've, I've just never done them when I've hired, maybe I should just to make sure that they do align with my, my whiskey, Debbie cake, Susan McNuggets personality and my leadership role here. But, um, I just always go by my gut. That's never failed me as far as that goes with the hiring thing. I did learn not to ask LinkedIn candidates to do the video before we have any kind of meaningful conversation, which explains why I fell on my butt with that. So if you are ready to hire, if you think you're ready to hire, just do the numbers, walk that out, figure out what your margins are, how many more clients, how much more income can that new employee represent to you? Or how many hours is that freeing you up? to charge your hourly rate to do something to where if you were spending, you know, 10, 20 hours a week doing social media, when you could have spent that 10 or 20 hours a week doing $300 an hour design work, I mean, I mean, come on, you don't want to be doing that for sure, or, or how it relates to anything, social media delegating, doing CAD work, going through your material room and organizing that sample room. All right. So if you're ready to make that first hire, I hope that you found these tips and advice very helpful. If you want to do it yourself, go knock yourself out. But if you are like me and you don't want to go through that pain, <laughs> then go look up Jamie Van Kyke. Go to wingnutsocial.com slash podcast. This episode and all of her information will be in the show notes. Information at Growing Your Team will be in there. You can go check her out on, on all of her socials at Growing Your Team and delegate that and live a life. <laughs> that you can be proud of. Remember to join us on March 24th with Stacy Martin as she does her webinar on how to do killer rock star presentations that your clients just can't say no to, or at least 95% of them can't. She's going to visually walk us through that. So we just have that implanted in our brains and moving forward, it's going to change the way you do design presentations. I guarantee it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, get out there, get uncomfortable and be great. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week for more business and marketing info and insightful interviews with industry experts and design superstars. Can't wait? Then head on over to wingnutsocial.com for more great content to help you get your business to the next level. That was the intro. I'm going to do the outro. <coughs> and I got a frog in my throat. <coughs> hold on, hold on. Alexa, tell Roomba to stop. <laughs> There's a blooper. Okay, I'll tell Suck Ferguson to stop cleaning the home. Would you like to end the cleaning job and send Suck Ferguson? Yes, my Roomba's name is Suck Ferguson. Hold on while the fifth battalion army rangers flies over my house for the hundredth time i picked a fine day to have my bazooka in the shop tell you that these planes just kidding my patriot good boy mango